0: Hi, I'm Karen Cook and welcome to At Source Podcast, a place where natural health and well-being are at the forefront of the conversation. Gain useful insights direct from the source, from doctors, industry experts, wellness advocates and everything in between. This is a place for busy people who want to get to the core of health and wellness with information about the latest health advances and trends in this series we talk with and learn from inspiring leaders from all walks of life touching on important topics that will help answer some of the key questions about natural health well-being fitness and all things direct from the source Emma Blake is an intuitive healer and spiritual coach and founder of Mind Body Soul Wellness in Australia. She guides her clients to help them reconnect the mind, body, and soul and facilitates a place for self empowerment, self worth, and the ability to speak up and use the voice we all have been given. Through her years of study and self development, Emma has secured a master practitioner of hypnosis, master NLP practitioner and coach, master timeline therapy practitioner. She is a certified Reiki practitioner, mindfulness facilitator and wellness coach. Well, a warm welcome to Emma Blake today. So, here at At Source, we do get to the heart of questions, issues, and information around every aspect of natural health and wellbeing. It is great to have you here. It is a podcast series for anyone who's interested in natural health and wellbeing. Those looking to feel good while on the go, you're looking for a work life balance, a better sense of equilibrium. Um, and, you know, where health and wellbeing is often a personal and subjective kind of journey. And so, it seems appropriate to bring you in here, Emma. I know that you are an influential healer and spiritual coach, the founder of Mind Body Soul Wellness in Australia, and you've beamed in today on Zoom, and it's great to see you you here on my screen. I hope you're well. How are you doing in Australia at the moment?
1: Thank you for having me. Uh, yes, we're doing well, working through the current lockdown situation. Yes. Um, so but we've all got to get through it and we'll all get through it as well.
0: Yes, it's obviously a a, a tough time there. And I imagine that a lot of the work that you're doing uh, seems to be probably in the online space. So you're probably able to sort of be working from home and it looks like your clients are, uh, you know, located in Australia, but also sort of offshore. One of the things um, that you do, one of the key things that you do is around guiding your clients to help them reconnect the mind, body and soul and to facilitate a place for self-empowerment, self-worth and really just helping your clients to have the ability to speak up and use their own voice, um, the voice that we've all been given. Um, So I'm interested in just hearing a little bit more about that and it looks like you work predominantly with women um, and sort of tackle women's health issues possibly physically and mentally as well. Um, just in terms of your background, uh, you seem to be, um, I guess, you know, well-educated with a, a master practitioner of hypnosis, a master NLP practitioner and coach, and a master timeline therapy practitioner. And we're going to hear a little bit more about that today and what it actually means. You're also a certified Reiki practitioner. Mindfulness facilitator and a wellness coach. So, a lot of coaching um, over the years, too, which looks really interesting. So, I've been looking forward to this chat uh, and I wanted to sort of start by asking you, you know, what an intuitive healer and a spiritual coach does on a day to day basis.
1: Yeah, so an intuitive healer and spiritual coach, along with the modalities that you've just mentioned that I have, I And also connected to spirit. So I use my intuition when I'm working with my clients because sometimes they could be resistant on sharing what is actually going on for them until they build up that trust and that rapport with you. So through my intuition, I'm able to pick up on their feelings and use that intuition to guide them to gain trust in me and then to be able to open up. And I'm also able to give them messages from past loved ones as well, which can help them with anything that they're going through in that moment in time.
0: So does that mean, uh, sorry to interrupt you here, I just want to be clear on this. Did you find as a young child that you had sort of leanings in this domain? It's usually something when when I speak to people, they talk about having voices and sort of intuition and sort of knowledge and see things in people from a young age.
1: Yes, absolutely. I remember as a child that I would always hear voices or feel things around me that weren't physically there. Um, but you know, as you go as you grow up and you tend to bend to societal needs, you push those gifts aside. And it's only been over the past six or seven years that I've leant back into my gifts of being a psychic and using them to help other people through you know, trauma or anything that they're going through in their life and just help them
0: heal. In the last six years, you've had this sort of um, reawakening, if you like, and you've pivoted from it looks like more the accountancy and the bookkeeping kind of side of things to actually mm-hmm. moving into the space of, of coaching and wellness and looking at the holistic uh, mind, body and soul. Um, so I was just interested in how your journey started, where it began, at what tipping point maybe took you away from what you were doing to what you're doing now.
1: Yeah. So I've always, I've always had that feeling that I wanted to help people. However, it took a very long time for me to discover what that actually looks like. So I actually started out, uh, back in 2014, 15 as a personal trainer. Oh. Ah. Okay. So yeah, so from my <laughs> own personal weight loss journey, I I stepped into the fitness industry um, because I wanted to make, also wanted to make a difference in the fitness industry and change the stigma around to be seen as fit and healthy that you have to look and be a certain way. Um, so that was my push for me to get into the fitness industry as well. And once i did my qualifications and started working with clients and again, predominantly working with women, I found that there was a missing link in the fitness industry where if we have a lot of emotional weight that we're carrying, especially as women, because we hold that around our torso, that it's difficult for us to reach our physical goals on our weight loss journey. So that's what got me into coaching. I went on and did a wellness coaching course and in that course, that's where I learned a little snippet about neuro-linguistic programming or NLP and that got me intrigued. So a couple of years later I went on to do my training um, in NLP and timeline therapy and hypnotherapy and completely stepped away from the personal training industry. And during that time I was still working in accounting and, Yeah, nearly 12 months ago now, I made the leap and jumped all all in on my business. So I was juggling both a full-time job and growing my my wellness business at the same time. Um, And yeah, I just, I backed myself 110% last year, right at the end of, you know, going through the, the pandemic of COVID. And I just knew now was the time that I needed to step solely into my purpose and to be able to help women across mm. the world. And to... has it has
0: it been? I mean that's a big leap of faith, as you say, right? You're obviously yeah. multitasking in many dimensions like we do as women. <laughs> and we do it we yes. do it we do it quite well. Uh, but I was just interested in how you feel now, just retrospectively looking back over the last twelve months.
1: Oh uh, so glad that I that I took that leap. Absolutely. I have been able to help so many women and I also feel that by helping those women, I've been able to grow more myself and also level up myself, not only in my business but in my personal life and in my family as well. Mm,
0: yeah, I'm sure there's quite a bit of honing that's done when you you know you're in a place where you're helping all the time. And what's really nice about that source is it doesn't really matter, you know, what industry expert I talk to. This this um, common theme of helping others seems to come through. It was only yesterday I was talking to an ex police, you know. A hostage negotiator with a diploma in terrorism. And the core drivers for him was primarily to help others. And it's been sort of prevalent through our seasons, you know, through our episodes and our season, our previous season. So, you know, that's loud and clear. I mean, I'm just interested with the training that you've done, um, the NLP, the neuro-linguistic programming um, and the timeline Therapy. I mean, obviously, it is a. It is quite an interesting sort of somewhat contentious topic. So I just wondered, if, I mean, first of all, it'd be great to hear a little bit in your own voice about what these two are, these two practices are. And then, you know, maybe we can sort of then digress and have a look at some of the challenges as well, because you're not sort of in a mainstream conventional Pathway here in terms of bringing um, mindfulness and healing, right? It must be must be challenging at times because you can tell me, you know, how educated are people around these things? They come to you because they are they curious or are they sold, or do you have to get them over the line on this? What's it like?
1: Yes, yeah, so it can be challenging because you know neuro linguistic programming or NLP and timeline therapy isn't a mainstream form of therapy it is a holistic way of healing from our past traumas. And, you know, our traumas don't have to be these ginormous events. They can be quite, for some people, it you know, losing a family pet is actually quite traumatic. Um, So yes, being a holistic way, a holistic therapy, it can be challenging when you have people connect with you wanting help, but because it's not something that's known, NLP and timeline therapy isn't still isn't something that is widely known, it can be challenging to get people across across the line. Um, no, so I'm always transparent with my clients on the type of therapy that we will be using in our sessions and that there's always also the flexibility around the sessions as well. So you know I've worked with clients in the past that when we get to doing the timeline therapy sessions, which are actually go quite deep, they they may not be ready for that. So I'm flexible in the way that we just continue with the sessions that we've been having leading up to that, which is just more like your, you know, counselling sessions where you're just having a chat, talking about, you know, where they're at, and just knowing that when they're ready to take that next step, then we can start the really deep work because you never want to push a client to into doing something they're not ready to do because that could be a traumatic experience for sure. them in itself.
0: How many sessions would you normally, you know, do for somebody? What would be the average? Yep.
1: So the average would be eight
0: weeks. Okay, like one a week? Yep.
1: Yes, one. so one session a week, which goes for an hour to an hour and a half over eight weeks. Um, so, But again, that also comes down to, you know, what what are they coming to me for? What are they coming to, to me for help for? But it could go longer than
0: that as well. Mm. But it would be, the, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it, it would be what mental health, their mental health would you know be the core drivers as to why they'd pick up the phone because they're disturbed mentally. Uh, it's not a physical ailment as such. It's more mental ailments, right?
1: Absolutely. Mentally, emotionally would be why they would be reaching out.
0: Could you explain for me, you know, how you use hypnosis? What is hypnosis? Because I think we all carry, you know, a paradigm around what hypnosis is, you know, and it's probably kooky and not accurate. Um, and, you know, NLP programming, I mean, how does it work? What is it and how does it work?
1: Yes. So, yes, there is a, uh, a still a stigma around hypnosis that It is something that is done to you and is more of a comical thing. However, hypnosis can be very helpful in the way of therapy. So a lot of my clients come to me for weight loss using hypnosis. Um, So hypnosis is just a state of relaxation. Um, So I guess the best way that I can explain it to you is, you know, we've all had those moments where we've been driving in our car on our way To work or to drop the kids off at school and we get there and we're like, oh, you know, where did that time just go? And that's because we've all been in a hypnotic trance without even realising it, the same as when you're watching TV. You're watching a movie and you kind of go, where did that 20 minutes go? You've been in a hypnotic trance. So it's just a state of relaxation and hypnosis isn't something that is done to you you're just being guided through the process. I also have a process where I do suggestibility tests um, and that is to see if the client is suggestible. So if they are not suggestible, then they will not be able to go into hypnosis. Mm. What's that about? How how does that work? Um, So one of the suggestibility tests that I use is called a book and a balloon. So it may. The people that are listening can probably visualise this, but if you have your arms out in front of you, um, one arm, so your left arm, the palm is facing up and the right arm, the palm is facing down. And then if you close your eyes and imagine that I am putting a very heavy encyclopaedia on your left hand and it's so, so heavy, So, so, so very, very heavy. And now I'm gonna come across and put another heavy encyclopedia on top of that first encyclopedia. And it's super heavy, so, so, so heavy. And then on your right arm, I'm going to tie a very light balloon. It is so light, so very, very light. And it's lifting up higher and higher and higher. And then your left hand is getting heavier and heavier and heavier. And now if you open your eyes and see where your hands are, you'll see that they have moved.
0: Mm. Yeah. So, so that
1: means that you are suggestible.
0: Yes. So, so that's a simple. Yes. <laughs> so that's a simple thing where you're just really monitoring how reactive your client might be to the suggestion of Absolutely. Of, of, you know, moving in space and taking things in and taking things on. So I just wanted to talk to you about perfectionism, mm. you know, about this personality trait. Because, it, I mean, perfectionism can be a really overbearing thing. Um, I'm personally not a believer in perfectionism, um, but some people really, you know, do find it. It's a, it's a core driver for a lot of what they do. Um, helps them to sort of set high, you know, high benchmarks around things. But it can be an overbearing and sort of a dictator of your personal and professional life. So how do you work around perfectionism when, you, when clients come in and they're just really just struggling, you know, to, to manage the expectations around their own perfectionism or, or even perfectionism in others? Getting disappointed because people aren't perfectionists, and they're going to be let down all the time, aren't they? With that viewpoint.
1: Yes, yes. If you're a perfectionist and are not wanting to let other people down, that also comes back to, you know, your your self worth and knowing if you're good enough. Because we become, we can become perfectionist when we're consistently searching for external validation as well. And wanting that external validation, again, comes back to you knowing your self-worth and knowing that you are good enough being the person that you are and not needing to seek that external validation. We definitely all struggle with it, female or male. However, because as women, especially when we're mothers, we wear so many hats that I feel that we take on that perfectionist role more more so than what men would. Um, But it is definitely something that we do all encounter at some point in our life, definitely.
0: Mm, mm. Are you working uh, with a range of ages? Because when I had a look at your um, website and some of the classes that you're offering, I think I spotted classes for younger people um, teenage girls, I think, from memory, and then that group up eighteen plus. So sort of was it thirteen or twelve to eighteen, and then eighteen plus. And then you've got obviously young adults there, and then you're move, working with adults, and you're possibly working with the older generation as well.
1: Yes, yeah, so I do work for with teenagers. Um, having well, my daughter is an adult now, however you know seeing the struggles that she went through as a teenager that is my passion behind working with other teenage women and <clears throat> yeah i just i just like to help every everybody and i think there's i don't like to put an age bracket on the women that i work with um
0: it's open, I just, yeah. yeah it's a it kind of open. needs based needs based absolutely yeah
1: needs based and yeah there's i feel that with my own life experiences that I've had and also seeing the experiences that my daughter has gone through from being a teenager to now being in her early 20s, that I have a lot of knowledge and experiences that I can help women from a young age through to an older age um, with whatever it is that they're needing help with.
0: Mm. So I guess while we're on uh, the topic of generations, I just wanted to ask you about the sandwich generation, which is that sort of caught in the middle generation of people who have elderly parents and grown-up children, a little bit probably like yourself. A few months back there was an article in the BBC uh, talking about the sandwich generation and how they're kind of prone to burnout, um, especially women. Is that something you've encountered in your own practice?
1: Oh, definitely over the years, especially when I was still working a full-time job while growing my business, and being a single mum, you know, wearing all those hats, we don't stop. And when we don't stop until we burn out. So it does happen uh, quite a lot, and I have seen it happen quite a lot with my clients as well, is that we also tend to, when we do have post past emotional events come up for us, we tend to keep ourselves busier than what we already are so that we're not having to deal with that because we're we're also busy, you know, doing things for other people and making sure that everybody else is okay, that when our own past events, emotional events or trauma come up, we tend to quickly push it back down and make ourselves more busy to stop it from feeling from, it. Bub- yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah. 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 So, I mean, how do you take care of yourself when you're sort of in that sandwich generation um, because you're getting, you know, as you say, pressures from all sides and you're sort of staying busy because you want to, you know, not maybe not be as in touch with the feelings that you're sort of suppressing because busyness camouflages a lot of feelings, it helps you, you know, stay numb, I guess. So how do you actually look after yourself and kind of keep a checkpoint on that? Because you can't be in therapy every week 365 days of the year.
1: (laughs) Definitely not. Uh, So it's definitely about having the awareness on when there are certain emotions coming up for you and acknowledging those emotions and doing the things that helps you move through them. So whether it's you know taking a 10-minute break to stop and have a cup of tea or a coffee or you know writing in your journal or going for a walk, it's it really comes back to the awareness and being aware that when those emotions are coming up, taking time out for yourself. Because if we burn out and we get ill, then we're not going to be able to help people anyway. So we need to make sure that we're being putting ourselves first and taking care of ourselves so that we can continue to do the things that we need to do.
0: That's right. And as you're saying that, I kind of get the analogy of the oxygen mask dropping down first. It's like put your own mask on first before you put your mask on your kitties. Absolutely. Absolutely. Same sort yes. of principle. And how do you effectively work, you know, online with with some of these? Um, because obviously right now with the COVID environment in, in New South Wales, you wouldn't be able to do face-to-faces and a lot of, um, you know, well, parts of your practice, you wouldn't be able to sort of have the, the treatment with the light and the crystals that I saw that you offer and you wouldn't be able to do some of those things. So how can you effectively help in that healing space th- through, you know, virtual sessions?
1: Yeah, so I am still able to offer most of my services. So I can still also do Reiki healing via Zoom or distance healing. So I am trained in doing Reiki distance healing. So although I'm not physically with the client, I can, through connecting with them energetically, I am still able to provide the same service. And, yeah, with the timeline therapy and the coaching, I'm very grateful that that is something that I can offer online even with my workshops I've now set them up that you know if I've got a workshop coming up this Sunday around womb healing for women and if our lockdown isn't lifted then I just flex and run it all online so I've set my business up so that moving forward I'm prepared that if you know, within 24 hours we were to go into lockdown that I still can continue working with my clients and running
0: my workshops. Yeah, I mean, and that's a smart thing to do, right? I think we're all sort of, you know, reframing the way we get our jobs done. Absolutely. Um, and that's very much sort of part of the times. Um, and, and In terms of working with women, and I know that you do help uh, women to heal from past significant emotional events, um, I just wanted to ask you about trauma and relationships. I mean, that, that's got to be a massive one, right? And I wondered how you reframe... Um, you know, one's internal dialogue after a major breakup, um, because you spend all this time with someone talking about your future, family, kids, and then you have to sort of, you know, walk away from that, say, and and start again. And I guess live with yourself, right? Re-love yourself. Do you deal with a lot of that in the day-to-day work that you're doing?
1: Absolutely, and it's actually it's actually quite ironic that I'm going through a relationship breakup myself right oh, now. Oh. Um, <laughs> so
0: it's ironic that you asked that question. Mm. How are you um, feeling? How are you going? Do people actually ask you how you're going? Yes, they do. Good,
1: they do. <laughs> and I'm moving through the, the emotions that are come that come with a relationship breakup, but also looking at the lessons. From that relationship as well, Um, you know, when clients come to me and say, you know, I've just gone through this big relationship, I break up, I feel like I've wasted my time. I like to flip that script and say to them, but was it a waste of time? Think about the the good times that you had in that relationship. Think about how much you've grown through that relationship, and also. The big lesson when you come out of a relationship is you then also know what it is that you don't want
0: to move forward. that's right.
1: And it's about speaking your truth in a relationship as well Um, and knowing what you want and, you know, having those open, honest conversations with each other. And they can be hard conversations and some people don't want to have those conversations but they need to be had because if you're not on the same page in a relationship, then effectively you're hurting each other so it doesn't matter who ends the relationship if there was no open communication from both parties um speaking the truth about what it is they want in the relationship and what they see in the future then you've effectively hurt each other and something i also share with my clients is it's very important to take ownership for your part in that relationship ending as well um I don't like to say it's a relationship breakdown or a relationship breakup because it's not broken. It's just that two people who were once very much in love and saw a future together, as they've grown through the relationship, they've also grown personally and may now just be on different paths to what they were at the start of the relationship. So it's very much about you know, flipping the switch and flipping the script and looking at it in a positive way. And what is it that I can take from that relationship that I can make sure that I'm asking for what I want in the next relationship and I'm speaking up about what I want in the next
0: relationship as well? That's right. And sometimes there's a a moment, something sort of that's a catalyst for that change, because I think you can sort of you know, correct me if you think I'm wrong here, but you can sort of get into an inertia, a state of inertia with these things. And sometimes you need a trigger or something catalytic to to give you the impetus to actually have a voice, to find your voice and go, this just isn't quite the right fit for me. And until you have that moment, whatever it is that takes you there, um, it's a hard one to actually affect change.
1: Absolutely. And when you do have that moment, it's also hard to acknowledge that as well because you have this, you know, you have your future set out. Like, you you know, when you've been in a relationship for a long period of time, you talk about having a family or having children or blending your families together if you already have children and it's almost like that future is taken away from you in an instant when you do acknowledge that. So sometimes people do hold back from acknowledging that, there was a catalyst and that you are now both on different paths and you know to stay in a relationship for the sake of not facing the truth it's you know it's it's setting you up to fail in the future anyway so it yeah my biggest advice around relationships is to always have open honest conversations no matter how hard they are and speak the the truth. Because if you don't, then, you know, you could stay in a relationship for the wrong reasons.
0: That's right. And in terms of sort of looking into the future, like we touched earlier on in your abilities to, I guess, have that sort of psychic uh, gifting. So when you work with people, with your clients and your people, can you see their future ahead of them? Or is that it's not as clear and not as black and white as that. It's more like you'll get little epiphanies, things might pop up, but you can't really see their pathway. And if you could, would you tell them anyway?
1: For me, I'm a very kinesthetic person. So I'm all about the feels. So my psychic ability is all, is the feeling. Um, So I feel, therefore I see through my third eye. Um, So I don't specifically see uh, my client's future, but what I can feel is when they aren't in an honest relationship, but yet they're not wanting to face that either. So I can kind of guide them and ask them specific questions so that they can then find the answers within themselves. And um, I would never direct my client in saying that, you know, I feel that your relationship is going to end, so you need to have that honest conversation now. And- yeah, I would okay. never. I would never do that. That's unethical. Um, however, I can ask them specific questions for them to be able to then find the answers within themselves as to where they feel they need to
0: take the relationship moving forward. So those insights um, and those giftings, can you apply them to yourself? Does it work like that? Absolutely. Okay, but you also have to listen to your
1: intuition as <laughs> well. <laughs>
0: Right, yeah.
1: <laughs> no. Okay. Sometimes when you're in a relationship where you do see a, a happy future, you get those intuitive kicks in the stomach and those gut feelings, but sometimes you still choose to ignore them because you have been so happy for so long and you've, you've seen visually seen this future and for your intuition to be telling you that something isn't right in the relationship again you have to be ready to acknowledge that as well and know that there is a different path ahead for you. Mm.
0: So we've got, we've got the big relationships vault hole. Uh, we've got marriage and we've got motherhood. Would you say that uh, some of the challenges – you did mention earlier some of the challenges around, um, you know, blended families and I call them ready-to-go's, ready-to-go families, you know, and they're not always easy constructs to make work um, and those constructs always seem to be so different for everybody. But do you feel like um, those are sort of issues – with women these days, I mean, I think mar- women are getting married a lot older these days. Are uh, certainly having children a lot later. What would your advice be for someone say who's about to get married into a blended family and sort of step into to motherhood?
1: It def- yeah. It still comes back to having those open, honest conversations, and you know, making sure that you're both on the same path, that you're both wanting the same things. But yeah, that's right. Um, because you know when you're in a blended bringing blended families together it's not just about you and your partner it's about you and the kids as well and everyone has to be happy that that union is happening um because if it doesn't then that could cause you know upheaval down the track as well so yeah it all comes back to having those honest conversations and saying well this is this is what i want out of a relationship, this is what I want out of a marriage and allowing the time and space for your partner to share that with you as well to make sure that you're both wanting the same things because, you know, we could say that we, we want to have kids whether we do or not or we could say that we want to get married and our partner may not feel comfortable with, or may not have the strength to speak their truth and say, "Well, no, that's actually not
0: what I want." Yes, um, so. and I think family culture too is a really interesting conversation because every family nucleus, even if it's uh, if it's intact or if it's broken, has its own family culture. And so, when you go to blend or, or refit a family model, you're bringing two family cultures together. And Absolutely, that's a tricky thing. I think, yeah, in this, it can be definitely, especially age. if
1: those open, honest conversations aren't happening.
0: That's right, that's right. No, that's a good, um, a really, a really interesting insight. Just in terms of looking after yourself, what what are small things that you do every day to say heal yourself emotionally and physically or spiritually even?
1: Yeah, so I start my day with a ten to fifteen minute ten to fifteen minute meditation. Um, and I do my gratitude. So I always start my day with three gratitudes as well. So three things that I'm gratitude grateful for that day. And I do a, a cacao ceremonial process as well, which cacao is a shamanic drink um, that, I, that allows for me to lean into my heart space uh, for the day ahead so that I can be centred and come from a place of heart when I'm working with my clients and communicating with my children. And then the end of the day is pretty much the same. So I'll start, my, start and end my day the same, whereas at the end of the day, I'm also journaling what's come up for me throughout the day as well. Because it's, it's funny being a coach and working in the holistic and spiritual space that when our clients come to us, they can at times also trigger things within us that we still need to heal and work through as well. So I never believe that our healing is, is ever it done. Is, yeah, yeah. I One thing I always say to my clients is as you heal, you evolve, and as you evolve, you need to continue
0: to heal. Mm, that's right. Because there's always layers. There's What's that special layers. drink? I'm curious. A special yes, drink? Yes,
1: it's it's just called cacao. So it's ceremonial cacao that
0: comes from Peru. Ah, do you buy it off the shelf? Will you make it?
1: No. So you would have to buy it online from a supplier, and it's a shamanic ceremonial drink. And however, it doesn't. Some people think that it would cause hallucinations, whereas it doesn't. It's not strong enough to do that. It. The process is that as you're drinking it, you're grateful for being in your heart space and it just allows for you to connect to your heart as well and be able to come from a place of love.
0: Mm. So would you say it's a bit like kava? Uh,
1: Yeah, it just doesn't give you the
0: numbing sensations. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness, okay. I could say bugger to that, but uh, no, no, it sounds really interesting. And is it a herb-based, like a medicinal um, herbal-based Drink.
1: Uh, so it's actually like a cacao seed that's broken uh, down. Plant. So yeah. it's plant
0: based. Yes, seed. it's plant based. Okay, right. and yeah. it's hot or cold. Uh,
1: you can have it hot or cold.
0: Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's. Um, it tastes.
1: It, it tastes almost like um, just like a hot chocolate. Oh, really. does it? Okay. Yeah.
0: Yeah, Well, that sounds pretty good yes. and a lot nicer than kava. Uh, in, yes. <laughs> in, in terms of um, just another another topic I think that's probably quite relevant for women would be this increase in endometriosis, right? It seems to be um, bigger than it was 20, 30 years ago. I don't know if people are just talking about it more. Um, it just seems so common. And I was interested in your thoughts around whether this was to do with stress or lifestyle or... Um, our diet and nutrition is it something that you deal with a lot the pressures around this? I had endometriosis myself when
1: I was eighteen nineteen uh, quite severely and back then well that 's going back nearly twenty years ago now um, that it wasn't there wasn't much known about it when i was found to have endometriosis. However, over the years, with the learnings that I've done and the healing that I've done, I believe there's a lot of contributing factors to women having endometriosis. So yes, it's our lifestyle, it's our the way that we what we eat, what we put into our body, it's stress, it's past traumatic events. It's a number of things and for women, also for men but more specifically for women, when we are holding on to stress or trauma or past significant emotional events, we hold that within our womb space. And it then can cause disease within that area such as endometriosis or polycystic ovarian syndrome, severe period pains, miscarriages. Um, it, yeah, there's a lot of contrib- contributing factors there that can cause endometriosis. And I feel that it's being talked about more so now because so we, so many women are suffering from it.
0: Mm. So I'd love to hear some real life stories because i have I have actually met someone um in my corporate world in my professional world who was hypnotised for weight loss, um, mm-hmm. had a really great result, lost about I mean an overwhelming amount of weight, like 20 kilos at least, and she recalled the experience and it was almost like she'd had the gastric band operation. She talks about the bright lights, she talks about how she felt during the procedure. Um, I mean, I would just love to hear some real life stories that people could listen to today as takeouts. It could be um, people who've struggled with addictions or substance abuse or weight, like just some real life stories where people have genuinely been helped and life's been better for them.
1: Yeah. So I'll share with you one of my very favourite client stories that I like to share with people. I had a woman come to me last year, so she was a previous personal training client of mine years ago, and she'd been following my journey and she had reached out to me a number of times with regards to Reiki healing. And last year, I put together my first Reiki and womb healing program. So that's where I take the client through a Reiki healing session, but then also go even deeper around the womb or the sacral chakra and take them through a deep womb healing meditation. And she came to me for that process as her and her husband had been trying to fall pregnant for eight years. And with out success. She had a number of miscarriages. At the start of 2020, she was two weeks out from having her first IVF, uh, round of IVF, and found out that she had fallen pregnant naturally. However, she miscarried again. She had her first round of IVF a month later, and that didn't take. So she decided that she needed to do some inner work on herself. And she came to me for the Reiki and womb healing session. She'd never had Reiki before and what she experienced during think, the session in herself.
0: Just, just sorry to stop you because we haven't really talked about Reiki and, and what it is. So I just thought maybe just quickly just give me a breakdown what that is. Yes.
1: Yeah, so Reiki is a form of energy healing. So as a Reiki practitioner, I call on Source, God, Divine, Divinity and the energy that comes from them. I use through my hands and by placing my hands on the client's um, body where I can intuitively feel that they have stuck negative energy, I'm able to use that positive energy to shift the stagnant negative energy within their body to release it. Okay, thank you. Yeah, that's okay. Uh, So yes, so my client came to me, she'd never had Reiki previously and she had a profound experience during the process. So before I actually start the Reiki, I always take my clients through a short uh, relaxation meditation so that they go in, they're they going into the, into the Reiki process in a relaxed state so the energy flows easy as well. And taking her through that meditation and the things that she was able to see and feel was absolutely profound like when she sent me through the the testimony I was just yeah amazed at what she experienced and she was quite there was a lot of emotion in that session for her and then it was five weeks later she messaged me and she's like do you she asked me if I had any relaxation meditations that I could send to her to listen to and I said, yep, yeah, absolutely, I can send you a couple of those through. And then she sends me another message saying this is why and sent me a photo of her pregnancy test showing me that she was pregnant. She had fallen pregnant naturally within a number of weeks after having her session with me. And she is now five five or four weeks away from having her baby. Oh,
0: that's a great story, isn't yeah, it? I so, mean. Those are the those are the little inspirational pieces I think that would probably move the needle for a lot of people to give to give it a go.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And you know, she said to me, Thank you for healing me. And I said, I did not heal heal you. I guided you through the process and you were open to healing yourself and doing the inner work and therefore you are now able to you were able to clear whatever was within the womb space that was stopping you from being able to carry a child.
0: And you are now able to bring a child into the world. Oh, it's a, it's, a, it's a great, you know, real life story. And um, yeah, it's thanks for sharing that. It's just good. So, okay, last last up because, you know, I don't want to take too much more of your time. Um, what's the most important thing that we can do, you know, people like me and others, um, that we can do in our daily routine just to stress and calm the body, just to stay in that Kind of, I mean, in your la- in your world, you might say unblocked space, that that really positive, unblocked space.
1: Breathe. <laughs> ah,
0: yeah, not hy- <laughs> not run breathe. around hyperventilating. <laughs>
1: yeah, no, just taking a moment, just taking moments to actually stop and breathe because we do live such fast-paced lives as well, and we we breathe so shallowly because shallowly because we are living such fast fast-paced lives that you know if we are feeling those moments of stress or even anxiety just to even stop and take a moment to sit in a quiet place and just take in some deep breaths you'd be amazed how much that actually shifts that that energy and that heightened state as well so
0: yeah so breathing breathe. so breathing through the nose and then breathing through the nose expelling yep. through the mouth absolutely yeah
1: and when you're pushing the air out, imagine that you're pushing out all that stress or all that anxiety or worry that you're carrying with carrying with
0: you and just letting it go. Mm. And that is another common theme that's been coming through in these episodes is the the value and the importance of breathing. Yes, yeah. it is so important. So it's always nice when these these things happen in these in these episodes. Uh, well look, it's been fabulous to talk to you. It was really interesting and I just want to say thank you. And I do wish you all the best. So, if people wanted to get in touch with you to do an online workshop, um, if they're here, you know, may I say based in New Zealand or they somewhere else in the world, um, how would they do that?
1: Yes. So, you can go to my website, which is www.mbswellness.com.au, or you can find me on social media platforms as Mind Body Soul Wellness.
0: Mind Body Soul Wellness. Yes. Thank you very much. Well, thanks, Emma. We'll be in touch um, post-podcast, but it's been fabulous to talk with you today and take care of yourself too. Thank you so
1: much
0: for having me. It's been a ball. Lovely. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in and joining our conversation and stay tuned for more episodes. Please rate, review and subscribe. Check out the show notes if you'd like to contact this episode's interviewee. At Source, podcast does not accept any liability for the results of any actions taken or not taken, upon the basis of information in this podcast, or for any errors or omissions. Those acting upon information do so entirely at their own risk. We recommend that you seek professional assistance from certified doctors for your health and wellbeing issues.